Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And joining me for this one is the new voice of the Sugarland Skeeters, my good friend, Gerald Sanchez. Great to catch up with you, Gerald. It's a pleasure, Robert, and thanks for having me. Before we get into the Skeeters and the Astros prospects down in Sugarland, I'd like to ask you what calling the Sugarland games means to you because you're a lifelong Astros fan, as I know very well, and I can't imagine you dreamed of calling the Astros AAA affiliate while getting to live in Houston. No, I, this is something that I, I never thought would be possible because, you know, when you think of minor league baseball, you think of it's always somewhere else, not Houston, Texas, but such a unique situation developed with the independent team. There were some rumors about it the last couple of years, and then it came to fruition. And what an interesting and, and you know special situation. The Astros are actually the second closest to their parent team. St. Paul, which was also an independent team, became a AAA affiliate of the Minnesota Twins this past season. St. Paul is 11 miles away from Target Field, and the Constellation Field is 22 miles away from the downtown. And I know with the pandemic, you've been forced to call the road games from Houston, but that could be changing soon, right? They're going to send me on the road for a series with Round Rock, and then they're going to evaluate from there. And looking forward to getting uh, on the road. I know that Robert Ford and Steve Sparks are still calling games from home, too, from Minute Maid Park. So, and I know that Robert and Steve are looking forward to getting on the road as well. Astros fans have seen a bunch of the Skeeters in Houston so far this year, but the biggest developing story in Sugarland is outfielder Jake Myers, who we haven't seen yet. And as I look at his numbers on June 23rd, Gerald, he's hitting 313, a 1,013 OPS. Tell us about Myers, what you've seen from him, and how legit is this production? Myers has flown under the radar as far as top prospects for the Astros, but he has hit. He's hit very well. I know that you and I have talked about this before, and you asked me, who, who do you think is one of the guys that the Astros could call up? And I said, Jake Myers, because he's killing it. And he's not known necessarily for his offense. That's the thing is that he's really worked hard on his offense and come around, but it's his defense. That's what he's known for. And he's one of the top defensive players in the league, and he can go get him out in whether he plays left, center, or right field. And he's got a gun too. Is that right? Yeah, he's got a he's he's he is a good player. He's a complete player, I think, with good defensive skills. He's got speed, and he's hitting for power now. All of a sudden, down in AAA. Where did he come from? Because I've been following the Astros minor league system like all Astros fans, and the name Jake Myers is not a name that I've heard a bunch recently. I haven't heard much of Click or even before that Jeff Luno talking about him prior to this season, but all of a sudden uh, we're hearing about. <laughs> well, like I said, he, he flew under the radar and he was actually a, a pitcher in college. He throws left, but he bats right like Ricky Henderson. That's rare in baseball. And he was, like I said, flying under the radar. And all of a sudden now he is, he's put himself in the conversation of being maybe called up. Now, his numbers are very similar to outfielder Jose Siri. That's who we were hearing about all at the beginning of the year with the stuff that he was putting up and what he was doing. They're both the same age, 25 years old. What's the Jose Siri story 
And is he a legit prospect? Because when you looked at his career in the minor leagues, he looked to be a journeyman, I guess, until this year. Am I right? Yeah, he's also done very well for the Skeeters. For a long while, he was leading AAA in RBIs, and then he went through a stretch, the home, whole homestand, where he didn't drive in a run. But on this last recent road trip, he's hit a couple of long balls, and he's starting to hit the ball you know, with power and then driving in runs as well. He was somebody, from what I understand, that just was out there. Anybody could grab him. The Astros did. You know, this is somebody that is basically trying to revive his chances to get to the major leagues. I don't know if the Astros look at him as somebody that can help them, but I, I don't know. Maybe he's somebody that they could offer up in a trade or as part of a trade if they're looking for relievers as the years as the year goes on because that's going to be a, a thing that we're going to be talking about as they approach the trade deadline but this is somebody that I just feel like even if he doesn't help the Astros this year maybe he can help them in in a way this year with what he what he can offer another team I, I don't know if people still consider him somebody that can help them on the major league level as a 25 year old well it's always good to have depth in your farm system and the Astros had depth in their farm system when they were starting to come up from the, you know, from the ashes back when they were suffering through those 100 lost seasons, all those draft picks and accumulating and, and building up that farm system. And then it got a little low, but they're starting to build it back up again. And these are pieces that the Astros like to have, like a Myers, like, you know, a Siri. And if they need to move them for something that they can bring in uh, at their parent team. And we got to hit on yet another 25-year-old prospect because J.J. Medicevic, and I'm probably screwing up his name here, the pronunciation, so you can help me with that, Medicevic or something like that. He's a former second-round pick, though, just promoted from AA Corpus, knocked the cover off the ball in his first five games in Sugarland, And he's another guy that we got to keep an eye on because uh, he's made his way up and is having a really good year, and, and he can play a number of positions too, right? Yeah, Medjevic can play first base. He can play uh, any position in the outfield. He's left-handed. He can hit for power. And in his first at-bat at AAA in Sugarland against El Paso a couple of uh, games ago, he went yard. His first at-bat, and he's uh, he's hit a couple of long balls since being in AAA. And he's another guy that an interesting piece in in the Astros farm system. Do you know where the projection for him, what position that they see him playing on the major league level? I haven't heard yet. And of course, he just joined them on the road trip and I'm still at home. So I haven't been able to ask, but uh, I have not heard that yet. Of the position players that we haven't mentioned, has anybody else impressed you or just been a nice story so far this year? I really like Michael Papirski. He is a catcher, DH first baseman, switch hitter. He's the one that caught Lance McCullers when McCullers threw his rehab start a couple of weeks ago. And McCullers vouched for him. Of course, he's an LSU guy, and I know that probably he's got some uh, some fans at the parent team. But they vouched for him saying, hey, he deserves to get a look at. And he's been hitting the ball well. He's been getting on base well. And it seems like uh, a possible uh, call-up if they ever need any help at the catcher position. I know they're still going back and forth with Garrett Stubbs between AAA and the, and the parent team. But I, I think Papirski definitely has something to, to, to look at as well. 
the bigger need for the big club is pitching, as we know, specifically in the bullpen. And as the old saying goes, you can never have too many arms. Is there a pitcher or two who you could see helping the Astros at some point in the next three months that we haven't seen yet? Because I know we're talking about uh, uh, about potentially Brian Abreu, Josh James, Austin Pruitt, all being on the horizon of, of making some rehab appearances down in the minors, uh, specifically with Sugarland, But anybody that we haven't, because it feels like a lot of these guys, Joe, we've already seen up in the major leagues as, as the season has progressed. I think that uh, Ronald Blanco uh, has pitched very well for the Astros out of the bullpen. Riley Farrell has pitched well, a local product. Ryan Hartman is a left-hander that has had some some quality starts. Brett Canine, the right-hander. Uh, he's had a couple of quality starts to being able to be consistent though with those guys. I think that's uh, one of the things that the Astros would like to see more of, but there are some arms as well that are playing for the Skeeters now that could be a possible call up for the Astros. You mentioned Riley Farrell, and this is somebody that I was really excited about when they drafted him. He was a third round pick out of TCU. Uh, He's, played at A&M Consolidated in high school. So he's so much a local product and an incredible arm at DCU out of the bullpen. The Astros could definitely use a bullpen arm, but he's 27 years old. There's been some injuries. Is there, is there still life in that fastball? I mean, what, what, what does it look like for him as far as, you know, where his arm is right now and how much juice there is left in it? And, and is it, feel like he's still got a shot as a 27-year-old. There's a possibility. He has pitched very well down in the minors. He's uh, part of the three-headed monster, as we like to call him, down in Sugarland for uh, their bullpen. They have Hector Velasquez, which is a right-hander, Farrell, and then Ronel Blanco. The Skeeters actually have the best bullpen ERA in AAA West. <laughs> that's uh I know that's something that the uh the Astros would like to hear because of the needing of the, of the bullpen help at the at the parent team. Uh I think Farrell uh he's just interesting uh, and again we don't know because you're going up against Triple A talent but he has pitched well for the Skeeters. Now the obvious benefit of having the triple a ball club so close to minute made is you can get guys up quickly potentially if both teams are in houston but i don't know if you've had a chance to ask the players or coaches about this but what are some of the advantages of having the skeeters down the street from the astros that maybe aren't so obvious to the fans and to us on the outside looking in well the ability to be at the ballpark in a moment's notice for example abraham toro was getting lunch at the galleria when he got the call uh, grab your stuff and head downtown to Bay park for the game tonight he, and so that's that's very convenient for, <laughs> for the astros able to sleep in your own bed you know that's uh uh, you know, so like, for example, Lance McCullers doing the rehab start, Jason Castro doing an MLB rehab down there, able to sleep in their own bed and not have to bus it or travel in any way, which, you know, wherever they're going. And, and that's that's a huge luxury for the Astros to be able to to at the moment's notice call somebody and then they'll be at the parent team. So it was interesting with Abraham Toro because he had to go back to Sugarland to get his stuff. And as his team were boarding for El Paso or leaving for El Paso, they left for Hobby and he left for downtown. <laughs> yeah, that's a, a great reason. But I, I was thinking of maybe the maybe one of the less obvious reasons. And you tell me, Gerald, but 
are you seeing coaches from the Astros go down to Sugarland just for an afternoon or something like that? And hey, let me take a look at this guy, or maybe I can give him a quick uh, pointer on something. You know that that potential benefit, or even scouts. You know, you can scout guys easier because you don't have to t- travel all over the place trying to find. Uh, where your AAA team is, you know, if you're a scout that's maybe in Houston on a regular basis, oh, I can, I, I've always got the Skeeters down the road or something. I, I'm just trying to come up with maybe that different angle of, of of why it might be a huge help. Oh, yeah. You, you mentioned about the coaches, the accessibility for the coaching staff. I know Brett Strom has been to the ballpark. James Click is able to come to the ballpark and an easier access scouts as well. Like you said, they're, they're right behind home plate. And uh, yeah, I think those are all the uh, another reasons that uh, make it very advantageous for the Skeeters to be the triple A team to the, to the parent Astros. This season, they made a change in scheduling as well because the Skeeters are playing six game series, which was a COVID inspired move. I'm wondering how that's been perceived and if it's possible that they may even adopt this permanently. There's been talk about that. Uh, then there's also been talk to going back to the traditional series. Uh, so uh, I think it's still early on. I haven't heard anything, but from what I understand, I know the players like having an off day for every series because there's more off days this year from what I understand than past, and the players like that. Also, uh, us broadcasters like that, especially after calling four-hour games back-to-back. <laughs> I'd also imagine maybe the accountants like that with Sugarland because with these six-game series, you're not doing as much of the traveling, I would assume, over the course of a season. So it's cheaper, I would think, doing road games and maybe uh, less travel altogether, potentially. I would think so, and and um, especially like in the, the lower classifications, probably so, absolutely. With no minor league baseball last year, what have been the challenges that players and coaches have faced this season on the development side? What have you been hearing about that? Being able to just have live game action. You can't substitute live game action. You can take batting practice all you want. You can pitch off the mound or or have bullpens all you want, but you can't simulate live game action. And I know that probably that's that was a, a huge adjustment for these guys, just being able to stay active. And I think that's why having the Constellation Energy League down in Sugarland, when Roger Clements put that together last year, that was very valuable for those players to be able to play every day and to have that. What about the pitchers? I mean, they didn't get a chance to pitch last year. So how careful does Sugarland have to be this season? Is there stuff that they're doing differently as far as you know, amount of innings that they give these guys this year, amount of pitches. Are they watching all this stuff much closer than normal? And I, I don't know what you can do because in the major league level, you can go, hey, I can send this guy down and we can bring another guy up and, and get the guy on the major league level some rest for a couple of weeks. But on the minor league level, I, I don't know if that's possible. So is that is that something that they're looking at pretty closely with you know, having that whole season off last year because all of a sudden it's like going from zero to 100. You're right. They have to have a close monitor on the pitch count. They have to have a close monitor on the innings. And they are uh, very careful with these guys because just because of the nature of the beast, but also because of what happened last year and because not being able to have that workload. 
So it is important, I think, for uh, them to be watching the arms. We haven't seen any complete games or even guys that have gone past six innings. Fans may have forgotten this, but the minor leagues experimenting with rule changes for their potential use in the majors this year. In AAA, they've increased the size of the actual bases from 15 inches to 18 inches, and the bases are less slippery. Is that right? Yeah, they're gonna for for the second half of the season. They are going to uh, for in AAA West. They are going to expand the bases. They're trying to encourage steals. They're trying to encourage the baseball that you and I grew up with, pitching speed and defense. You know those '80s Cardinals and Astros teams. So they're 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 trying to encourage run the running game. The other thing that's the benefit from this, from what I understand, is they think this could help with fewer collisions and injuries with the bigger base pass, meaning the guys have more room to to get in there, and maybe they're not you know bumping into each other on close plays. That's that's another another benefit of having uh, the bigger base. Uh, so that's what they're experimenting with. And that's not happening until the second half of the season, so in a couple of weeks or so? Right, right. Uh, what changes were made to the Skeeter's ballpark from last season to this season with the purchase by the Astros? How does it look different? The ballpark has always been very fan-friendly, and they've added some some different things, uh, especially out in the outfield with the, the bullpens. I know the fans have easy access to, you know, because it's such a quaint ballpark. Uh, there's also concessions, what they've done on the concourse. They've done some remodeling with that up in the, the, the club level. It's very nice up there. And uh, it, the, the skiers just do it first class. They, they do a wonderful job. They brought in the fences a little bit in the corners. It kind of reminds me of the old Astrodome with the orange numbers on the wall. You remember the in the Astrodome back in the 80s, they used to have the gray wall with the orange stripe on top and the, the, the numerals from home plate to the outfield, the numerals were in orange. That's what it is here. Even though it's a green padded wall, the, the orange foul poles and the orange numerals, that, that's a nice little touch I think that they've added. My co-host Stephen Kerr couldn't make the conversation today, but he wanted me to ask you how the Skeeter fan reaction has been with the Sugarland move and they're now part of the Astros organization obviously the community has really embraced it who would have ever thought the Astros minor league team would be in Sugarland there was always in Tucson or New Orleans or Oklahoma City even Fresno but to have it just in your own backyard that's created a huge buzz and attendance has been really solid too people are really excited to come down and watch future Astros play all right, I need to switch gears for just a second because for those of you who don't know, Gerald, you've been a huge Rockets fan your whole life, and last night was kind of a big deal. My heart was racing as if a Nolan Ryan fastball was coming at my head while I watched the lottery play out. Meanwhile, I'm assuming you were totally preoccupied calling the Skeeters game, paid no attention? Yeah, I, I, I got a text from a season ticket holder neighbor of mine because I've been a season ticket holder for many, many years. Of, and uh, he said, text means his Rockets got the second pick. So I knew uh, last night what was going on just because of my, my friend that texted me. But uh, number two, yeah, we're going to pick number two. Is there a really clear favorite in the draft this year? It's not like, you know, a Zion Williams or a LeBron James coming out, like a, a can't-miss guy, is there? Cade Cunningham is the consensus number one pick by everybody, but there's always 
somebody that everybody's talking about like, well, maybe this guy or, you know, I, I don't know if Cade Cunningham is a Zion Williamson or a, even a LeBron James, any, somebody like that. But uh, he's consensus number one. Number two is much more up in the air. I mean, they're talking about uh, either Evan Mobley Jalen Green or Jalen Suggs. So those are the three guys, and um, it could go all different directions. Mobley, by most scouts, is the consensus number two, but that doesn't mean anything. You know, one of the things I was going to ask you about, because I didn't have cable TV as a kid, and I don't know if you did, so I didn't see the coin flips for Elijah Wan and Samson back in 83 and 84. Do you actually have memories of watching those coin flips as babyface Gerald Sanchez? No, I, we didn't, I didn't have, I didn't have HSE growing up. Cause I grew up in Victoria, Texas. I, I grew up with Gene and Jim on rockets radio or whenever the rockets would be on CBS, but I don't remember the coin flip. Uh, I've seen video of the coin flip. We've all seen those videos, but no, I, you know, here's the story. When the rockets were in the lottery, Jim Foley was representing the Rockets, and it was between Portland and Houston. Obviously, Sam Bowie went to uh, Portland. Now, before the pick was made, when the selection came for the Rockets, as they were notified, hey, the Rockets are going to get number one. Jim Foley was representing the Rockets as Akeem was representing the Rockets this past week. Jim Foley had an Akeem shirt, or a red Akeem shirt with white lettering, Akeem, under it, and he opened it as soon as the Rockets were announced as they were going to get the first pick. I don't know if you knew that story or not. No, I don't think I knew that one. And, and just so people know this, uh, I don't know if we've discussed this on the podcast, but you know, I know it from knowing you from the, for years. But you know, somebody that is a big influence on your career, former Astros broadcaster Milo Hamilton, right? Gene Elston and Milo Hamilton were huge influences, and of course, Gene and Jim also were, were huge inspirations to my career. Before I let you go, let everybody know why they'd want to go to a Skeeters game. And if they can't get to the ballpark, how they can hear your voice on the broadcast. Well, they can go to the website, uh, SugarlandSkeeters.com. And right there at the very top, they have uh, the game listed. And you can either uh, purchase a minor league uh, video package or you can listen to free audio. That's how they can able to watch or to listen. And then there's nothing like going out to the ballpark with the family and enjoying an evening of baseball, whatever level fan that you are, with you know that you're a casual fan or a diehard fan, there's something that's always interesting and unique for baseball, for fans and part of America. I brought this up on the broadcast the other night, and I don't know how this happened, but the Arizona Diamondbacks, they were playing uh, 01 World Series Yankees. And you remember that World Series. That was the 9-11 World Series. And George Bush throwing out the first pitch at Yankee Stadium. And what a World Series that was. I had talked about on the air about how it was baseball that brought normalcy back to our everyday lives. Because you remember, it was, it was mad scramble. It was crazy. We weren't sure what was going on. But when baseball came back... And then, of course, the story of Mike Piazza hitting the home run against the Braves at Shea Stadium. That was what really brought some normalcy back to our lives. And that World Series 01, the whole country was going through. I think a lot of people were behind the Yankees, but it was baseball. Baseball is so much like life. 
And there's so many romantic things that we can talk about and, and, and things about over the years about baseball. But going out to the game and being able to watch a game, especially after what we've been through this last year and a half with COVID, it's, it's normalcy. And it's therapeutic. It really is. And to come out to a Sugarland Skeeters game, you're, it's quaint. It's very affordable. It's fan friendly. The parking, everything is just, it's very unique. And if you haven't been to a Skeeters game, I urge people to get out there and, and to watch Sugarland Skeeters baseball. You'll, you'll thank me for it. As an Astros fan lifer, is it hard to be missing Astros games because the Skeeters games are usually happening at the same time? <laughs> a little bit, but I, I wa- I'm constantly have the score up in, in my radio booth and I update the, the game like the other night. Astros had a no-hitter into the eighth inning. And so while I was broadcasting, I was also letting the fans know what was going on. And so, of course, I didn't say no-hitter. I just said that something very interesting is developing in Baltimore. <laughs> I want to ask you about that before before we get out of here because you brought that up. And I, I was watching the, the no-hitter take place. And I feel like these no hitters are happening so fast and furious. It it just it takes out the unique quality, the special quality of the no hitter. And I don't know, is it just me? But are these no hitters with two and three guys? They just don't have the same feel for me as like, oh wow, it's a no hitter when there's you're running three guys out there. With the Astros, of course, have had this over the years. You know, they had one just a couple of years ago. There was the one back with the Yankees in 2003 where there were six guys pitching a no-hitter. With with multiple guys pitching a no-hitter and so many no-hitters happening one after another for you, does it take a little bit of the shine away from that stuff? A little bit, yeah. It, it takes a little bit away of the, the anticipation and excitement that a guy is going one to nine and throwing a, a no-no because uh, it's just different. You know, a combined no-hitter is different, and those combined no-hitters throughout the history of baseball are so rare, but a no-hitter is a no-hitter. And I remember being at at the ballpark and the Astros with, uh, they had Aaron Sanchez. Remember, he was uh, the starter, and he threw a couple of innings. That was his first Astros uh, debut, and throwing that no-hitter, it was still exciting. But yeah, there's something a little bit different. Now, I'll say this. I was in attendance also for the 03 no-hitter. Now now that I think about it, I've been in attendance for the last three no-hitters in the Astros history, 03, 15, and 19. Well, I wasn't in Toronto with Verlander, but the 03 no-hitter, there were so many pitchers. You know, Oswalt went after the, out after the first inning. Berkman hit that mammoth home run in the upper deck at Yankee Stadium. And, and I was at that game with my father. We took the road trip to Yankee Stadium and to Fenway Park. That was the first time the Astros ever played in those ballparks. They were still part of the National League. And I remember I didn't look at the scoreboard really until the seventh inning because there were so many pitchers and because the Astros scored so many runs. I didn't realize the zero under the hits column until the seventh inning. And then I, I nudged my father and I said, Dad, look at the scoreboard. And he looked at it. And I said, it's what Nolan Ryan did seven times. It's what's going on now. <laughs> and, and then when Matt Wagner came and, and got those last three outs, um, that was very special to be a part of. I have a picture of my father and I in front of that scoreboard at Yankee Stadium with the no-hitter. Uh, I'll never forget that no-hitter. Six pitchers. That was, that was a very strange no-hitter. But it was still fun. And then, Robert, uh, it's a, it's like I said, 
The Astros played at Yankee Stadium, but they went up to Fenway Park to play those three games. Random people, random Red Sox fans, because my father and I walked around Boston touring the city with Astros gear, would just come up to us and say, thank you for no hitting the Yanks, or just thank you, thank you. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, it was, it was quite the the feeling being thanked by strangers of Red Sox fans telling us thank you for no hitting the Yankees. Yeah, I don't think that can happen anymore because I think the Red Sox now look at, at us as the enemy just as much as the Yankees with everything that's gone on <laughs> in the last couple of years and the fact that uh, you know it's it's interesting now because you know if the Astros did that it would be. You know, well, what were they doing? How were they doing it or whatever? Of course, I'm, I'm watching last night as, as Max Scherzer's being frisked like he was uh, uh, going into a uh, going into a, a, a drug deal or something like that uh, three three times during the game. But you mentioned the, the, the no hitter up at Yankee Stadium. I, did, I didn't even realize that you'd gone to that one. But Kirk Sarlos, as we mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago on the show, now that as part of that no hitter as well is now the head coach at, at TCU. So that that's kind of interesting, but man, it, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be fun to see what happens between all these guys that are rehabbing down there with you guys and how many of them can come back for the Astros and maybe make a difference. But I uh, can't tell you how much I enjoy talking with you and love to hear everything that's going on with the Skeeters. And, and, and it's so cool that they're so close by, but thanks for stopping in Gerald and, and talking Skeeters with us. It's been my pleasure, Robert. Thank you for having me. And don't forget, we're going to come back next week and we will have a big discussion about the Rockets and the draft pick and the, the lottery and everything like that. So stay tuned for that. For all you regulars on the show, you can also reach us on Twitter, Facebook, or email info at HoustonSportsTalk.net. Stay healthy and safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.